We are so grateful for the offer of life that you have given to us. Thank you that you sent your Son for us. That we might get to live with you forever. Please open our hearts now. Fill us with the Holy Spirit as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a short series on some parables. I have picked three parables in a row from Matthew 21 and 22. Pastor Josh has another one that he's going to do next week uh, from the Gospel of Luke. But each of the three that I've picked have to do with response to a person in authority. That's been the theme here. In fact, all three of these parables in Matthew follow up a question that was asked in Matthew 21, where some religious leaders asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? In response, Matthew gives these three parables. And and the first one, remember, was the parable of a father who asked his sons to do some work for him. The second parable was the parable of that vineyard owner who wasn't just an owner. What was he? Who remembers? He was the vineyard lord. And he expected that the people would work for him in his vineyard the way that he wanted them to. And today, this, this third parable is the parable of a king who invites people to come to a feast with him. All three of these parables help us understand how we should respond to our Lord and King. In fact, one of the ways that I've been understanding this series of parables is to look at a verse in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus says, Luke 6:46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Again, if that word Lord means master, then who are we to look at our master and not do what he asks us to do? There should be a sense in our lives that, that permeates through every part of our life in which we joyfully submit to and follow our Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, and it's super important that we would figure out what that means for our lives. So how will we respond when our Lord asks something of us? Well, today the parable is about a king who invites guests to a wedding banquet. Now, have you ever been invited to a wedding, but you didn't really want to go to it? Uh, there could Okay, I'm not the only one. Good. Um, you know, sometimes the wedding invitation comes with, oh, good, that looks so fun, I want to go. And other times it comes and, oh, boy, uh, that one's really far away. I met, uh, in my 20s, I met people from all over the world, really, and there were a couple of weddings that I got invited to that were just a long ways away. And, you know, as much as I would have maybe wanted to go and celebrate with them, there was another part of me that said, I don't know if I want to drive 15 hours for a one-hour wedding and a meal. Um, so there are some of those invitations that, that I turned down because they didn't fit into my plans. And in hindsight, maybe I was wrong to do that, but that's just the way I did it. Sometimes a wedding doesn't fit into our plans. Well, let's read this parable about a king who invites guests to a wedding. Now, the first two parables that we looked at have to do with work. Remember the, the parable of the father asking his sons to work and the parable of the vineyard lord expecting his workers to work for him. But today, the parable is about a gift. And just right off the bat, I want to remind you that, that our entrance into the kingdom of heaven is a gift from God. There is no amount of work that we could ever do to earn it. We could not be a good enough person to meet the standard of God. We all fall short of that. If we are to have any hope of being in heaven with God, it must come as a gift from him. And that's exactly what we see in Ephesians 2.8, which says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift 
of God. That verse, in fact, uses two different words for gift. One of them translated grace, the other one translated gift. But both of them remind us that it is only through the gift of God, through His grace, that we can enter into the kingdom of heaven. But how will we respond to that gift? Well, the gift in our parable today comes in the form of an invitation. And I want to read for you the parable now. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been uh, butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now in some ways this parable feels far-fetched. A couple of reasons. One, who turns down an invitation to a royal wedding? Now, I, I don't follow the royals very much. Uh, the Kansas City royals maybe, but not the, uh, the British royals. Uh, but I've heard it's a pretty big deal if you're going to get invited to one of their weddings. And I would guess that people prepare for months in preparation for one of those weddings. So as we read this story, we see a king throwing a banquet for his son. It's kind of shocking that that people would reject that invitation. Yet spiritually speaking, if we follow the the real meaning of the parable, we see that all the time. Now another reason reason that this parable seems far-fetched is because Uh, Why do they kill the people who invite them to the wedding? Now, I've received wedding invitations that I haven't wanted to go to, but I've never killed the mailman, okay? I I did some confessions the last two weeks. I'm not going to confess to killing any mailman. I've never done it. Uh, Why do they kill? Um, Well, again, the the spiritual meaning behind this parable, I, I hope you get it already, that there are people in this world who have been so antagonistic to God that they have killed his servants. So this parable may seem far-fetched, but actually I think it's, it's spot on. Let's look into this parable and see what's going on. In verses 1 and 2, we see that this king has prepared a wedding banquet for his son, and as such, in verse 3, he goes and tells his servants to, invite the, uh, to, to bring those in who had been invited. And their response is disturbing. They refuse to come. Or literally, if you were to translate the last part of that verse up there, where it says they refuse to come, you could translate it as, they didn't want to come. It's, it's very similar wording to what we saw in that first parable, the, the parable where the father asked two sons to work for him. The first son said, I don't want to. Literally, that's what he said. And, and again, I think this is where, if, if we're going to be careful to investigate our hearts in this, we have to be careful as we hear the invitation from God that we might say, I don't want to. 
I think in both instances, in that first parable and then in this parable today, we see people who had other ideas for the way they wanted their life to go. And when God came with his idea and his invitation, the people said, I don't want to. How does the king respond? I love this part about this parable. He goes again to those same people, tells his servants to go to them again, and he begs with them. He woos them with this wonderful dinner that he has prepared. And I I love the heart of our Heavenly Father in this, that he wants people to be with him in heaven. Some people look at our God as a wrathful God, and there is that side of it, and we clearly see that side of it in here. But before we see wrath in this parable, what do we see? Not just once, but twice. The king sends to the people to come to the banquet because he wants them to be with him. The commentators agree that this first group of people in the parable probably refers to Israel. And God sent his servants, the prophets, again and again to remind them of this invitation to come. And and it reminds me that uh, as we look at where we might fit into this parable, that that we can be like the servants in this parable as well. We who have already been invited to the banquet, we should be out there telling others that the king has made the banquet ready and that he wants you to come. May we do our part to proclaim to this world that the king wants them to come home. In verse 5, Some people who were invited came up with excuses to go. Again, they had other things to do. They had other desires. And then in verse 6, the people were so antagonistic toward the servants who invited them that they even went to the point of killing them. Now let's look at the spiritual reality behind this. Some people, like those in verse 5, get so busy with life that they make up excuses. Have you ever noticed that sometimes life can get in the way of what God might have for you? I think we've all been there, right? I think we've all struggled at times with knowing what we should do, with knowing what God would want us to do, but then we see the things that, the other things that we could do, the things that we want to do, or the things that we think we should do. And let's be careful with our hearts here. Let's not get so busy with our life and the things that we want to do that we reject the invitation of our God or that we reject his plans for our life. Yes, life can get busy, but here's the way I like to say it. If you're too busy for God, you are too busy. And I think actually a better solution than this is to to recognize that God knows all about our busy lives and our difficult lives, and he wants to be with us in the midst of them. So let's do life with him, not apart from him. But then let's look at these people in verse 6, the ones who, who seized and eventually killed some of the servants. Who do they represent today? Well, these would be people who are opposed to God, people who are antagonistic to him. Perhaps they've come up with some other explanation in their mind of, of how God didn't create the universe or of how God doesn't have plans for our lives. Perhaps they think that God is just an idea that man came up with. And, and I get it. We all struggle at times with the authority of God in our lives. Does, does he really have authority to tell me what I should do with with my life, with my time? Well, these people answer that question with a resounding no. And in this parable, they killed the servants. They rejected what God had to say. In response, in verse 7, the king sends his army to destroy them and to burn their city. Now, this all might seem very harsh. Again, who would kill somebody just for inviting them to a wedding? And then the response that we see is, is equally harsh. 
But this parable reminds us of an important fact that either we respond with faith and humility to God or we reject Him. And if anyone rejects Him, please know that there are serious consequences and let's not sugarcoat it. The consequences are hell. Twice in this parable, the language is so harsh that it can only represent hell. And, And God has forewarned us about this. May none of you show up on Judgment Day and be unaware that there was punishment for those who would reject Jesus. God has clearly told us about... And and in this parable, the invitation came before the punishment came. That's how God works. And, And let's remember still that the God who sent the army to destroy those people is the God who first sent his servants twice. I love that part. Did I mention that before? I love that part. And in verses 8 to 10, we see even more of the king's heart. The king wanted people to come into his banquet, so he tells his servants to go out again. The, the first group that was invited, they weren't worthy. That's the word deserved there is the word for worthy. So in verses 9 and 10, he tells them to go out into the street corners and invite other people, all that they could find, both good and bad. God's heart is for people to be with him, even the bad people. It reminds me of the first parable we looked at where we're told that the tax collectors and the prostitutes, two people who were looked down on in Israel, we're told that they can enter the kingdom of God. Please know that the gospel message is not a message in which God looks for the very best people on earth and allows only them into heaven. No, the gospel is a message for sinners like you and me, like in that song that we just sang, that Jesus is calling, oh sinners, come home. We have all offended God by what we have done, by what we have not done. But God's heart is to bring us to himself and he does that through Jesus Christ. Through what Jesus already did for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. We are invited into eternal life with him. And that invitation, according to John 3.16, is for whoever believes. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Some people object that Christianity is too exclusive. And I get why they say it, right? Because we would say, along with John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And, and some people would rail at us and say, how could you dare to say that the only way to God is through Jesus? But think about, in reality, how inclusive the gospel message is. Because whoever believes can have eternal life. And I, one thing that I like to point out about this parable, who, who was invited to the wedding banquet in this parable? Everybody. There's not a single person in this parable, apparently, that didn't have the option of going to the banquet. Then this parable ends with the uh, story of the one man in verses 11 through 14 who came but then was thrown out. I want to reread it. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now if this part of the parable has you scratching your head, that is okay. Why is this guy treated so harshly just for not having the right clothes? And and why did he not have the right clothes? 
I, I think that second question is perhaps the key one. Why did he not have the right clothes? And there are two answers that are commonly given, and they both make sense. So I'm not, I'm not sure exactly which one of them is right, but we're going to look at both of them, and I think we can learn things from both answers. So the first answer is that there was a tradition in ancient times that when a person of wealth gave a banquet, that they would also provide wedding clothes for the people uh, that were invited to that banquet. You see, people didn't have closets full of clothes like we do today. So when some people were invited to a wedding, they literally might not have added anything. To, you might say, I don't have anything to wear, but that's not true. You have lots of stuff to wear, you just don't like all of it. Um, in this case, some people may, may literally have not had things to wear to the wedding so that the king would provide that clothing for them. Now, the other way to understand this part of the parable is simply that the guest came with dirty clothes. And if that's the case, then he had the option of wearing other clothes, but he didn't go to the time or the effort, or he didn't have enough respect for the king and his son that he didn't put on the right clothes. Uh, that's why, well, and let me say this. Um, Either way, the fault is with the person who wasn't wearing the right clothes. Either he rejected the king's clothes, or he didn't put on the right clothes himself. And that's why in verse 12, when asked why he didn't have the proper clothing, he was speechless. Now, if he had said, oh, I'm too poor, I didn't have anything to wear, we could expect that the king would have said, here you go, here's something for you to wear. But that's not the case. The, the fault here was with the man who wasn't wearing the right clothes. And as a result, like it says in verse 13, he was thrown out. And again, there's the harsh language that's meant to remind us of the, of the harsh reality of hell. Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment. And Jesus told us a lot about it because he doesn't want us to go there. He wants us to be with him. That's why the invitation goes out. And then this parable ends with the saying in verse 14, for many are invited, but few are chosen. And this verse can be understood two different ways, perhaps depending on your theology of election, which we're not going to get into very much right now. Uh, and yes, there is certainly the issue of divine sovereignty and human free will and how do they play together. Uh, but I simply want to say about verse 14 that everyone in this parable was invited and that only those who responded rightly were chosen. God's heart is to invite people, and we are to respond rightly. And in fact, I think those two concepts, invitation and response, help us understand this parable. So that's where I want to go with the rest of my sermon today, is to, to look at this, these ideas of the invitation that comes from God and the response that he's asking from us. And, and let's remember that this parable was written for us. It, it had certainly a meaning for the, the people of the day in which Jesus spoke it, but it also has a meaning today for us. So let's take a look at the spiritual realities behind God's invitation and how we should respond. Going back to verses 5 and 6, some people hear the invitation of God but don't have time for him or outright reject him. Now I'm guessing most of you that have shown up at church on a Sunday morning are perhaps more inclined to be like the people in verse 5 than the people in verse 6. Um, but let's be careful with our hearts here. Because in verse 5, these people, they went off to do good things, right? One went to his field, another went to his business. And, and we would absolutely say that there's nothing wrong with having a field or a business, or going to school, or working, or being at home with your family. Those are all very good things that we should do. But if any of them get in the way from you responding to God's invitation, then something is very wrong. If we elevate any of those things above our need for God, then something's very wrong in our hearts and in our lives. And it's, 
easy for us to get caught up with the things of our life, the things that we want to do. Remember, their response was basically to say, I don't want to come. And we have to be careful with our hearts that we're not saying that to God. So, does your heart eagerly seek after God? Or do you get so busy with your own things that you don't have time for God? Please don't get so caught up with life that you forget about the giver of life. And then I want to remind you about the invitation as well. In verses 3 through 4, we see that double invitation. And then in verses 8 through 10, uh, we see a, a second group of people invited. And in verse 8, it says, those I invited did not deserve to come. That's, that's again the word for worthy. They weren't worthy. By their response, they showed that they were not worthy of the invitation. But amazingly, the response of the king in verses 9 and 10 is to go and invite others. And again, we see the heart of God here. And, and if we think about who are the, the people who are on the street corners, who are the good and bad, that's anybody that we would come in contact with. And God's heart's desire is for them to receive the invitation of the wedding banquet. And, and please notice again the word bad, because our worthiness doesn't have to do with how good we are or with how many good works we've done. Our, our worthiness is simply a matter of receiving the invitation. And this makes sense according to the gospel message. Because like I said earlier, it's not the best people who get into heaven. It's the people who respond with faith to Jesus Christ. And if you've ever done anything bad in life, please take heart that you can receive forgiveness. That's why Jesus came, to forgive you of all of your sins. You might be in an eternal relationship with God, the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, and with all the company of the redeemed. But then let's consider this man in verses 11 through 14. And this is, again, perhaps the, the trickiest, head-scratchingest part of the parable. Um, it appears that he accepted the invitation. And I use the word appears there because it, it looked at first like he accepted it. But did he really accept the invitation? Now again, there's two ways to understand this, so let's look at both of them now. First, if, the, if we're to understand this, that the king would have given wedding clothes to all that he invited, let me ask you a question. Does the person who comes to the banquet but refuses the clothing, did he really accept the invitation? I don't think so. He's like, sure, give me the food. That all sounds pretty good, but uh, hey, I'm not going to wear your clothes. Come on, don't insult me like that. To decline the clothes is to decline the invitation. And spiritually speaking, here's how this one goes. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we are clothed with His righteousness. You see, we need righteousness to get into heaven, and if we're looking at our closet, there's really nothing to wear. But when we receive Jesus, like I've said, we are clothed with His righteousness. It's a package deal. We receive Jesus and we receive His righteousness. His righteousness. So a person can't just say that they want to get into heaven, but that they don't want anything to do with Jesus and his righteousness. Do you see that that would be to reject Jesus? Either you accept Jesus and the righteousness that he gives you, or you reject him. 
That's exactly what happens for us, though, uh, receiving Jesus and receiving his righteousness when we come to him. Let me show you a couple of verses that point this out, a couple of passages. The first one is Galatians 3, 26 to 27. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, just a quick word on the word baptized there. Um, the New Testament really has no category for a person who has come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior but, but didn't get baptized in water. And, and let that just be a rem- reminder to you. If you've received Jesus, you should be baptized in water. It's not that the water saves us, and that's not what this verse means here. It's the faith in Christ through which we are saved. But when we receive Christ, like it says in that verse, we are clothed with Christ. And then one more passage in Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. This one is a little different uh, because the wedding that it's talking about here is apparently the wedding where Jesus is the groom and we, his people, are the bride. But, but look at how it's said here. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Now, uh, Greek, the language in which the Bible was originally written, was, is kind of a strange language, and they have a way to emphasize words that we don't have. And the word that's emphasized in verse 8 is the word given. So I want you to look at that word given. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. It's not that she went into her closet and picked something out. It's that the, the robe of righteousness was given to her. And that's how it works for us. When we receive Jesus Christ, we put on his righteousness. And that's our only hope of being in the, the wedding banquet in heaven with God, is if we are clothed with his righteousness. So again, invitation and response would be two important words to understand this. We are invited by God to receive his son, Jesus Christ, and we must respond with faith giving our lives to him. Turning away from our old life in which we had soiled our clothes badly. Putting on Christ, receiving him, and and doing life with him. Send in your RSVP. Um, Pastor Josh told me uh, about a story this week. There was a a wedding singer who was invited, obviously, to, to sing at the wedding and invited to the reception afterwards. So she she went to the wedding, she sang at the wedding, and afterwards, as she was on her way to the reception, this really fancy type of reception, she was met by the person at the door and asked what her name was. And she gave her name, and he said, I'm sorry, you're not on the list. You won't be able to come. And she said, but wait a second, I was the wedding singer. Didn't you see me? I was up there. Clearly, they want me here. But as she's saying this, she remembers, oh yeah, I forgot to fill out the RSVP. So think about that. There's a person who, you could say she earned a meal at the wedding. She did her work in order to get that meal. But she didn't get in because she didn't respond to the invitation. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who think that they're going to get into heaven because of their good works, yet they have never responded by faith to Jesus Christ. So please know that you're not going to get up to heaven and God's going to analyze your works and put it on a scale and see how good they are and say, yeah, that's good enough. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. And if any of you in here have not yet responded by faith, please do so right now. Confess your need for him to forgive your sins and receive him as your Savior and Lord. 
But then, like I said, there's another way to understand what happened regarding this man who had on the wrong clothes because the second thing that could have gone wrong is that this man was wearing dirty clothes or that he had soiled his clothes somehow. And according to this option, he had clothes he could have worn, but he chose not to. Again, he didn't have enough respect for the king or his son to wear the right kind of clothes. He thought he could get into the feast simply because he was invited, but spiritually speaking, he didn't respond with faith. He wanted the benefits of the wedding banquet without submitting to the will of the one who was throwing the banquet. And this is perhaps like the person who assumes that they are a child of God. They might come to church regularly and pray and even read their Bible. But this person has on the wrong clothes. In Revelation 3, it talks about these kind of people. In verse 1, it says, You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They claim Jesus, but their clothing shows otherwise. And remember, our only way into heaven is by being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. We can't earn our way into there. Yet there is a place for good works in our lives. You see, good works should flow out of us. For for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, the overflow of our heart should resound with good works. And in that sense, we should continue to put on good clothes. If we say that we know Jesus, it's important for us that we would actually continue to walk around with him as Lord. So we don't just say that we know Jesus, but not follow him. It's not enough simply to claim to have received him in the past. We should keep on clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul said it in Romans 13:14. It says, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Or here's another verse that reminds us to continue to put on the right kind of clothes. In Colossians 3:12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then just a couple of verses later, it says, and, put, and over all these virtues, put on love. So for those of us who have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there is a continual action for us that we are supposed to keep on putting the right clothes. We're all supposed to be fashion experts in this regard. We're, we're all supposed to continue to dress in ourselves in a fashion befitting Jesus Christ. You wouldn't show up to any wedding, right? None of us would, would show up to a wedding without thinking about what we're supposed to wear there. And, and that's similar for us, that, that we have a wedding banquet waiting for us in heaven, and what we're supposed to do as we're on our way there, which is the rest of our lives, is we're supposed to continue to dress ourselves in a manner befitting of Jesus Christ. And, and this kind of gets at the idea of what we would call assurance of salvation. Because again, there's this guy who who appeared to accept the invitation to the banquet. He thought he was in, but he wasn't in. He was out. So how can we have any assurance that when it comes time for that wedding banquet, that we'll be in? Well, assurance of salvation isn't for people who just prayed a prayer once and then went on to live their lives however they wanted. Assurance of salvation is for those who keep walking with Jesus Christ. Okay? No, don't, don't get me wrong. A part of your story can be, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ when I was 12 or 4 or 70 or whatever it is for you. That can be part of our story. But the rest of our story should be lived out every day as we continue to walk with Jesus Christ as Lord, as we continue to clothe ourselves with Christ and with compassion and kindness and love. 
And God will continue to cleanse us. We, we might soil our clothes a little bit, but God will cleanse us. As we come to him in repentance, he will forgive us of our sins. And he will also make us holy according to his word. But this kind of life in which we grow in assurance of our salvation is for those who keep walking with Jesus. So do you want a spot at the banquet with God? If so, you should respond rightly to his invitation. In this story, we saw one group of people who rejected the invitation. But we see a second group of people who responded to the invitation and they get to celebrate with the king and his son with joy. But then there's this other man who appeared to accept the invitation, but he did it on his own terms. He would not clothe himself the right way. If you want to be on the right side of this parable, you need to be with Jesus. And if you want to be with Jesus, you should keep walking with him. So this parable, like the parables before it, has to do with the authority of our God. We're we're supposed to work for him as he asks us, but we're also supposed to respond by faith to his son. And and that one really comes first. That our hearts need to be changed as, as God transforms us, as he brings us from death to life, as he clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That all happens the moment we receive Jesus by faith. And then from there, we should walk around with Jesus as Lord. And I'm glad that Jesus is Lord. I I think that a person could look at these three parables and say, wow, that king sure expects a lot of people, or that boss, or that father. But you know what? I'm convinced that the life where Jesus Christ is Lord is the best life to live. Have you tried to live your own life your own way? Now, there may be some pleasure in that, right? We've probably all experienced that where we've come up with our own ideas of how we want to do things. And yeah, it might feel pretty good for a while. But I hope you know that you were created for something even higher. And that the God who loves you and created you will give you a life full of purpose and meaning and joy and peace and love as you submit to him and to his will. So again, I'll say I'm very glad that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's better at that than I am. But that reminds me then of that verse that I've been coming back to in Luke 6:46, where Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? We're all tempted to live a different way. Let's be honest, okay? What temptations are you struggling with right now? We all have plans that might seem very important to us. But let us be people who clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and keep walking with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this invitation to be with you and your son. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to, to rescue us from what would be eternal death. Thank you that we can be clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. We praise you that Jesus is Lord and we pray that we would continue to walk around with him as Lord. So Lord, help us to understand where we're falling short of that, where we're tempted, where we might want to go our own way. And God, I pray that we would all, by faith, continue to walk around with Jesus as Lord for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.